Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will, and make, I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord.
Uh, there, is, there is so much going on in these verses that whenever I was trying to write my sermon this week, uh, I had no idea how to open it. Uh, preachers really like having some good illustration that sort of sums up the whole passage uh, to, to help get everybody in a frame of mind to where they can understand the text, receive the text. But what do you do with the Jesus in these passages? There's nobody like him. He, he's a king who, who heralds his own arrival. He's a teacher who can expel evil forces with his words. He's a really busy man, but he's not too busy to stop and spend time with his new friend's mother-in-law. He's holy beyond holy, yet he, he touches the most defiled of people. There's simply too much going on with Jesus in these verses for us to summarize him in a tweetable fashion. Mark is letting us know from the get-go that Jesus is one of a kind. Uh, and that should bring us great comfort, and I hope it brings you great comfort after we look through this text today. Uh, we're going to look at Jesus, j- just Jesus this morning, and we're going to look at him under three headings. First, Jesus' mission. Second, Jesus' authority. And third, Jesus' heart. So Jesus' mission, authority, and heart. Mission. Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission in these verses is to herald the good news. We'll talk about that. And also to fish for men. Uh, Good news. Verse 14. Please look at it. Uh, John the Baptist has been arrested. John the Baptist was the guy who prepared the way for Jesus' ministry. He was the one who baptized Jesus. If you were here last week, you heard the story. But now John the Baptist's ministry is pretty much done. It's time for Jesus' ministry to begin. And we see a summary of Jesus' ministry in verse 15. Please look at verse 15. Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. That is, God is unfolding His plan. That plan that He spoke through the prophets years ago. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God. That is, God is coming to bring His kingly rule on this planet. Therefore, repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, The king's here. Quit your treason. Submit to him. Turn away from that and believe in what he has come to do. Believe that it's actually gospel. That is, that it's good news that the king is here. So, if you're you're here this morning and you're trying to understand what Christianity is... Um, This may be of interest to you. Whenever Jesus came and he preached this message of repentance, turn away from your sins, uh, the the people who loved that message the most, they weren't the nice, respectable people in society. The, The people who loved this message of repentance the most, they were the sinners, the prostitutes. There was something about Jesus himself that made them want to repent and believe in what he had come to do, believe what he told them. There was one lady of the night who, 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 who was so happy about Jesus and what he came to do so much that she was literally crying tears of joy and, and washing Jesus' feet with her tears. So w- whatever you, you want to do with Jesus, uh, you can't say that Jesus was simply a moral revolutionary telling people to quit being bad and start being good. No, Jesus was on a mission to do something, something that would be good news to people who had done bad things. Uh, And and his mission was to herald this good good news and to fish for men. 
uh, fishermen. In verse 16, we see where King Jesus takes this good news. He takes it to the Sea of Galilee. Galilee of the Gentiles, it was called. It's Moss Eisley. It, it is not the royal palace in Jerusalem. It, it, is, it is out in the middle of nowhere. And who does he take it to? Whom? Uh, not, to not to nice people in the court, but he takes it to a, a couple of fishermen who, who probably smell like old seafood. Uh, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John. And, and I love how Jesus gets them to join him on this mission. Uh, look at verse, verse 17. See if this would convince you if somebody asked you to do this. He, he simply says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they do. They follow him. There must have been something in his voice. Something about the way that he talked about the good news. There's something about him that really gripped their hearts, and they followed him. Now, this was the beginning of their faith in Jesus. If you continue reading the story, you're going you're to read about how they failed, how they, were, they went through trials. Uh, but ultimately, these men give everything, including their lives, to follow Jesus on this mission. And here we see at the very beginning, there's something about this mission that gripped their hearts, and it should grip ours too. And it's this, Jesus is on a mission to fish for men, to fish for souls. And the fishing he's doing, it, it's probably not like the fishing that some of you have done where you have a hook and a worm and you're just kind of tempting a fish trying to get the fish to bite. It's not that. These fishermen used nets to fish. Cast nets. I don't know if you ever use one. You throw them and fish is swimming along and then Wham! He's yanked out of the water. Why would Jesus use such an image to describe his mission? Well, he is talking to fishermen, so he's probably using a fishing example. But doesn't he value our, our freedom of choice? Our autonomy? No. No, he doesn't. Fishermen go to fish for fish. Why? Because they want to catch a fish. They don't take the desires of the fish into account. They fish because they want the fish. The point here is that in Jesus' mission is that Jesus wants you. Jesus is casting his net to get you. Uh, you may go through your life thinking that Jesus is disinterested in you. That Yeah, you're not a prize catch. He wouldn't want you anyway. The only way for you to get in is if you're one of those fish who jumps in the boat somehow. Uh, that's not it. Jesus wants you. And he wants you to know that the time is fulfilled. God's kingdom's here. And it may not look like uh, how you'd expect. Uh, first off, he's wanting you to be in it, and maybe that's too much for you. Uh, it's, it's small, but it'll grow from, from like, like a mustard seed into something big, a few fishermen in Galilee, to, to an innumerable crowd of every tribe, nation, language. Uh, believe that. Believe that good news. You'll be able to turn away from sin, repent. You'll believe uh, in the gospel. Not, not, not that, that you'll just have the, the, the power to turn away from sins because you've got something joyous uh, to look forward to with God's kingdom. No, Jesus is a fisherman. He's going to yank you out. He's going to bring you into a place of repentance where you can believe. Look, he's a good shepherd. 
But he's a good fisherman too. And he wants you. So that's Jesus' mission. Next, Jesus' authority. Authority. Uh, That word can make us feel uncomfortable. The authorities are the ones who give you speeding tickets. Maybe whenever you were younger, you wrestled against authority. Uh, Jesus, we see, uh, has authority. Authority is a word that means command. If you can command somebody to do something, that means you have authority. Uh, So what can Jesus command? He commands all sorts of things. Uh, Healings. Uh, He can tell demons to leave. He can tell people what to think. Uh, He has authority over mind, spirit, and body. And, And we'll see in the text that this authority stirs people up. People are excited because Jesus is with the one with authority. So authority over the mind. Jesus was a teacher, a preacher. He commanded people's attention and their, their thoughts. Uh, look where we find him in verse 21. Look at verse 21. Where is he? He's teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. And his teaching wasn't boring. Uh, verse 22, how did they respond? They were astonished at his teaching. They'd never heard anything like it before. Uh, scribes they knew. Scribes who would come in and they would quote one rabbi who was quoting another rabbi who was quoting another rabbi who was quoting Jesus. But whenever, uh, or quoting Moses, uh, but not so with Jesus. Whenever Jesus spoke, he was, he was kind of like Moses. You were left thinking, man, it's like this guy has been talking to God directly, like one-on-one. It had authority. We have Jesus' teaching. We have it in these words. Sit under Jesus' teaching. Sit under his authority and, and soak it up. And, and for, for heavens, think. Use your mind. Like, don't come to church just because it's a, a family tradition. I don't care if you're, if you're 40 and it's a family tradition or if you're 8 and it's a family tradition. Whenever you're here, use your mind. Think on Jesus' teaching. Experience his words. Let him have authority over your mind. Let him command your thoughts. And ask tough questions. Learn. Uh, Jesus has authority over spirits, too. Uh, while Jesus is teaching, uh, I, I don't know what I would do if I was in Jesus' situation, some guy in the, in the synagogue gets up and starts yelling at him. Uh, this man has an unclean spirit, a demon. And, and demons, something that we'll see happen in the, in the Gospels, demons being spiritual creatures, they, they're sort of more in touch with the spiritual realm than you or, you or I are. So whenever a demon sees Jesus, like, it knows he's God. Uh, and, and look at what he yells in verse 24. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He recognized that Jesus was the great king, the God-man, who had come with authority to destroy evil. He knew that his days were numbered. And, and he refers to himself in the plural. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, I, 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 he says us. And I don't know if that means he's, he's like a, a guy who has a lot of demons inside, maybe. Or, or, or maybe he's just recognizing that, that he and all his other demon friends, like, they're about to get the axe. But whatever the case is, he knows that Jesus has authority over him. And so whenever Jesus commands the demon to be silent and to come out of this man, the demon has to obey. He knows he doesn't stand a chance against the Holy One of God. Now, there's a little detail in this part of the story that I found interesting. 
This all takes place in a synagogue, in a house of worship. Uh, Perhaps this demon-possessed man had just wandered in off the street, uh, but perhaps he was somebody who was well-respected in the community. Maybe he was a a father in in, in the church there. Maybe he was uh, even a, a teacher at the synagogue. We don't know the details. But Jesus knew. Jesus cared. Uh, Jesus wasn't out to just reach the people who were on the margins of society, the the fishermen, the prostitutes. Uh, He was there to reach the well-respected people too. Uh, So maybe you're sitting in church today and and wondering what this text has to do with you. And and look, I don't want to insinuate that any of you have a demon. Uh, But Jesus is the one who has spiritual authority over your life. He commands your spiritual destiny. He is the one who tells evil to flee. He is the one who puts his spirit on you. And this is beautiful. If you are somebody who has put your faith in Jesus, that means his spirit is inside of you. Faith is a gift. It's a spiritual gift from God. And whenever God's present inside of you, no evil force can touch you. You are untouchable to demonic activity. Not something that you do for yourself. This is a gift of God. Uh, you, you can't drum it up. You, you don't need to anoint yourself with water or do some sort of spell on yourself. This is something that Jesus does for his people. He protects them. Uh, your fate rests in the hands of Jesus. He's the one with authority. Praise God. Uh, Jesus also has authority over the body. After they leave the synagogue, where do they go? Well, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they invite Jesus to come over for uh, Sabbath brunch and, and rest. And Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She's sick with a fever. Uh, it is unclear how serious it is, but as soon as Jesus shows up, they, they, they tell him about her. Uh, look at what he does in verse 31. It's, it's, it's really sweet. Jesus comes up and and he touches her. He lifts her up by the hand and he heals her. He's so tender. And I love her response as well. It may seem a little bit comical to us, but what does she do? Uh, this lady is bedridden with a fever, but then she just jumps up and she starts serving them. You know, she breaks out the wine and the olives and she puts out the plate. She's starting to take care of them. She gets to do what she wants to do again. She gets to host them. Jesus has authority over the body, and he gave her health. He has authority over your body, too. Now, this brings up a whole host of questions. Uh, We could wrestle this morning with with why Jesus would would heal some people and not others, why he would allow some of us to suffer with cancer or chronic pain or or fatigue or, or miscarriages, But right now, Mark doesn't get into that in this passage. His only concern is that we know that the basic fact, the foundational fact, that Jesus has authority over our bodies. He is the one who who has sealed the fate over our bodies. Now, if we go to the end of the story, we know that that means he can save us from even the hardest of physical problems, death. Um, So, Jesus has authority over mind, spirit, and body. How do people respond to this? They respond to this authority well. They get stirred up in the passage. Uh, Verse 32. uh, Look, everybody from the whole town shows up outside the front door in the evening time. Uh, They've heard about this miracle man, and now they're wanting a miracle for themselves. 
Uh, Verse 34, Jesus responds. He doesn't turn them away. He's a compassionate guy. Uh, And so he, he does it. He heals them. He casts out demons. And this brings us to something that I don't know, whenever I was reading it, it kind of confused me, and maybe it confuses some of y'all too. Like, why does Jesus keep telling people to be quiet after he does something wonderful for them? Did y'all catch that in the text? Uh, he, he, he tells them not to tell anybody. He tells the, the demon in the synagogue to be silent. He tells the, the, the demons in verse 34 not to speak. Uh, later, he's going to tell the leper, don't say anything to anybody, but just go, go to the priest it's as if he's healthy, or healthy. It's as if he's happy to help these people, but he doesn't want them to know who he is yet. Theologians wrestle with this, and they call it the messianic secret of Mark. If Jesus really is the Son of God, why hide it? Why not get people stirred up about these miracles? It's mysterious, but here's how I see it. Jesus knows that the people want a Messiah, an earthly Messiah who's going to come and fix all their earthly problems. I mean, imagine if you had access to that. What would you do in your own life if you could fix your earthly problems? You see how tempting that is to get wrapped up in the things of this earthly realm. Good things, things that matter. Jesus takes time to heal these people. But people want that. But what does Jesus want for them? People prioritize earthly help. What does Jesus prioritize? He prioritizes his teaching. Did you catch that in the text? In in verse 36, uh, the disciples go out searching for Jesus and they they try to get him to come back to the city. Obviously, they want him to heal more people. Uh, Everybody's looking for him. But how does Jesus respond? See verse 38. He says... No, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. That is what I came for. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's explaining the scriptures. There's something more important in the scriptures for these people than being healed physically. Now, why? What is he doing? Why is he teaching so much? It's this. He's reworking their idea of what the Messiah was supposed to be. Uh, What the Bible said about the Messiah. That he's not just going to be a glorious king who comes in and solves everybody's problems. But that also, he's going to be humiliated. He's going to suffer. He's going to be killed. Despised. He's going to be a king, but he's going to be a dead king who brings people to life through his own pain and death. Uh, He is teaching them the suffering servant of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. See, he doesn't want them to get stirred up about all these miracles because he wants them to to get stirred up about his work of salvation that he's going to do. His work of dying for them and and rising again to new life. And and, and something neat, I I was listening in Ben's sermon at the, at the, the, the resurrection sermon on Easter, and, and, and something clicked. Uh, you know, after all these miracles in Mark's gospel, people never obey Jesus. They always go out and start telling what Jesus did, just did for them. Except at the very end of Mark's gospel, the women who actually go to the tomb and find it empty, do they run away telling everybody? No. They are terrified, and the text says they tell no one. 
their whole mindset about the Messiah had to change. And it does. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we see that, that eventually the disciples are like, no, Jesus is resurrected and he's told us to meet him in Galilee. And you know Jesus' first words whenever he meets them in Galilee? He says this, and I thought this was very interesting, especially tied to our text. He says, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. That stirs me. Jesus has received final say over all our souls, and he enacts it through his teaching, through his word. So those of us who know him through his teaching, we didn't have to see him with our eyes. We don't have to feel him in some way that that is beyond normal sense. No, we know him through his teaching. Let us rejoice. He has given us a greater miracle than a cure for cancer. Because he's cured our sin, that sin that separated us from true life, fellowship with God. And because he's died and resurrected, we too are brought with him. So if we put our faith in him, then he has brought us up through the grave itself. That's the reason why Jesus is downplaying his miracles and telling people to keep it secret. is because there's something better that he's working. He's reworking their idea of a suffering servant Messiah. That was Jesus' mission, Jesus' authority, and lastly, Jesus' heart. We've already seen something of Jesus' heart in the way that he shows compassion to all these people. Uh, But in our final two paragraphs, we see the intimacies of Jesus' heart. We see his intimacies, his closeness that he has with God and with the leper. He has a heart for God, the Father, the Spirit. So, uh, the, the, the day is done. It's been a, a long day of healing people, teaching all morning. Uh, people are coming at night trying to get healed. After a long day, a long night of teaching and healing, does Jesus sleep in? Mm-mm. Look at verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. More rest was found for a weary Jesus in the presence of God through prayer than all the cushions and furs that he had left behind. Let that be an encouragement to us who struggle with prayer. Jesus is is letting us know that there really is something worthwhile about prayer with God, something even worth waking up early for. Uh, Some of the elders of this church actually wake up early every week to pray for you. Uh, their flock. They do it because spending time with God and talking to Him is worthwhile. Now, I'm sure that Jesus, in part, was probably praying for for all those people from the day before, uh, asking that they would be given repentant hearts and that they would truly know God. But even more than that, I think that Jesus was just enjoying sitting in the presence of God, having fellowship with the Trinity, basking in its warmth, His warmth, Uh, In in that moment, he was strengthening his resolve to obey all the Father's commands, to live a a perfectly obedient life. And as well, he was was seeking encouragement from the Spirit to persevere uh, because he was about to take a, a really hard road of suffering to go to the cross. Jesus sought encouragement with his Father in prayer. Now, logically, like that's going to raise up a a flag in our mind, like why would Jesus 
need to pray if Jesus is God? I don't know if you were thinking that. Um, is he just talking to himself during prayer? Well, Jesus prayed because, yes, he is God and man at the, at the same time. Uh, but, but there's also a, a plurality in the Godhead. There is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And, and these three are, are, are one, three in one. They have communion with one another. They delight in one another. They enjoy each other. Uh, there's love there. And something important for us is that Jesus, by becoming a man, God becoming a man, uh, through his incarnation, he's actually brought humanity into the presence of God more than it's ever been before. So that if, if he's given you faith in him, you have been brought into God's presence. You have access to God. So, uh, Jesus has a heart for God. He also has a heart for this leper. We see in verse 40 that while Jesus is going from town to town teaching, uh, there's a leper who's heard about him and finally able to catch up to Jesus. Uh, and his words to Jesus are so simple. Uh, in a sense, he isn't even asking Jesus to heal him. Look at what he says in verse 40. Simply, if you will, you can make me clean. He was a man downtrodden by the woes of life. As we read from earlier from the passages in Leviticus, he had to cover up his lip. He had to cry out unclean uh, so everybody knew to avoid him. Uh, though leprosy in those days, it was, a, it was a broad term for all sorts of skin diseases. One thing was clear. This man embodied what it meant to be defiled in a physical sense. Uh, his flesh was so corrupted by disease that, that people were instructed not to go near him, lest they too be defiled. I want you to imagine for a second the most filthiest, dirtiest person on the street with the worst odor. That person has a better life than a leper because that person can be touched, can be hugged, can be loved. You can be close to that person, but the leper had to be alone. They knew what it was like to suffer alone, to lose everyone. And so doesn't that tug at your heartstrings, if you think about it? Jesus felt something. In fact, scholars aren't even sure how to translate how Jesus felt. Uh, verse 41 in, in our translation says that he was moved with pity. Uh, but others say that, that it was more like he was livid. He was angry at the situation. It really bothered him what happened to this man. And I want to be careful here. Uh, because Jesus doesn't say that this man shouldn't have been alone with the, this disease. He doesn't say that the Mosaic law was bad to, to make this guy isolate and quarantine. No, it, it was for the greater good. But Jesus loved this man. It moved him. And that's when he does the imaginable, at least in that day. Was he willing to heal this man? Verse 41. He stretched out his perfect hand pure and, and touched this most defiled of people, this poor man. And it was the first time that that man had been touched in ages, had felt the, the warmth of a hand on his shoulder. I remember the first couple weeks of COVID, uh, I'd be walking down the sidewalk and people would avoid me. Do y'all remember that? And, and I, I was, it, it, it hurt a little bit. I understood. I mean, I was avoiding people too, but I, I was bothered. Um, this man had to live like that every day of his life. He was untouchable. But Jesus touched him. 
Jesus said, I will be clean. And he was cleansed. Um, Maybe you've had a bad couple weeks. Maybe you've done what is wrong. Maybe you're sitting in the chair this morning and, and you just feel defiled by your sin. I'm here to tell you that Jesus sees you. Yeah, we are, we are gross inside, like spiritually unclean. We don't want people to know, but Jesus knows. And he's reaching out. Feel his hand rest upon you this morning. He is willing. Next, he tells the leper to keep quiet again. And what? Verse 44. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Go do what Moses said to do. Uh, Jesus here is showing who he really is. There's only one person in the Bible who can cleanse a leper. Yahweh, God himself. And and God is the one who spoke this law to to Moses. We read it earlier, the leper who is cleansed, he has to bring like two birds to the priest. And the priest kills one and takes the blood and puts it on the other one. And the other one flies away free. Uh, You can write this down if you want. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the one who gave the law to Moses. Jesus was foreshadowing thousands of years before what God himself would come and do for defiled people. What he would do to save us. That he would be the one who shed his blood for us. That we would be cleansed. That's the heart of Jesus for the leper. That's the heart of God for us. So what do we do with all this, church? It's simple. It's the starting point and the ending point of the Christian faith. Know him. Know Jesus. That's been my personal goal for the year. I'm reading books. I just want to sit at his feet and know him. Know his heart. Know that his mission is to save you because he wants you. Know that that he has authority to save you in every aspect of your life. And only he can do it. Know that his heart is for you. What good news that is for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for making yourself known to us. Thank you for salvation. Lord, I beg that you would grip our hearts this this morning, that we would love you, that we would want to know you more. Thank you for healing us. Amen. Amen.